Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. Gabe Yannis and I, we sit down with the CEO of Table One Hospitality, Patrick Umel today. I always love talking to Patrick. We've been friends for a long time. We've connected on a variety of different things, including CrossFit, but in particular, leadership, growing a team, running a business. And I always love to hear his insight as he's grown through the Mina restaurants and now through Table One. He's you know worked with thousands and thousands of team members. He's led tons of teams. And I think that his insight, his knowledge, and his mindset is invaluable to all of us, including people who run and operate gyms or any type of business. So if you're a leader out there, if you're a business owner out there, if you're in the restaurant business in particular, you gotta listen to Patrick Gumel. He's an incredible human being with a great message. I cannot wait for you to enjoy this. Now, if you do, simple ask. Just share with a friend. That's it. Share the podcast with a friend. Enjoy this one. Enjoy the other Coffee with Kalipas and all the previous episodes. Let's keep getting after it. Let's dive right in. So I am extremely uh, honored, fired up to have Patrick Yumel on the show with Gabe and I. Uh, Patrick and I have known each other for years, as I said in the intro, and he is he's a guy that I always look to as a gym owner for inspiration because the business that they're in through restaurants and the business that we're in, there's a lot of similarities, but they're, but they're very different. And I think that the more we can explore how successful restaurants are ran and developed can help us on the fitness space. So Patrick, thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's great to have you on the show and I, uh, I know you're in New York. I know you're busy. So thanks for taking the time. No, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm excited to, to, to do this with you and, uh, uh, to hear all that's going on and, and hopefully contribute some way. For sure. So definitely want to talk about leadership, talk about a f- several different topics. Um, one thing that I think the the audience should know is that you're, you're a fitness guy. You did CrossFit for a long time. What does your current fitness regimen look like, especially with how much you're traveling, opening up restaurants? I'm just curious, what do you do right now? You know, I do a mix of, um, it's, it's all centered, you know, really a lot of lifting, um, so I do, you know, um, sometimes it's like today I did, uh, it was a series of three, 10 minute AMRAPs. Um, so, you know, like today it was, um, you know, 10 bench, um, you know, 10 bench, 10 row, um, 10 fly, um, for as many, as many rounds as possible for 10 minutes. And then there was another, so it's a mix of CrossFit lifting. Um, I do yoga a lot of, you know, as I'm getting, you know, a lot of stretching. Um, and then I, you know, kind of, uh, interlace that with some car, you know, some running outdoor running, tread running, that type of stuff, biking. Dude, it sounds like Gabe's routine. <laughs> well, not these days. Um, no, no yoga and very little biking, but Patrick, I, I'd love to take just a little step back. I, I know you've been on the podcast before, um, but for people that maybe, you know, haven't heard your story before, if you can give us like the real quick, like, you know, how you got to where you're at now, you know, synopsis, I think it's a really interesting story. And there's a lot of kind of questions I have along the way. It all started on a form, farm in North Dakota when I was no, um, <laughs> you know, about a, a little over two decades ago, I, I started a company with Chef Michael Mina called Mina Group. And our goal, we saw a huge opportunity to um, help elevate uh, the food and beverage experiences and the dining experiences within the hotel landscape. And so our you know, our model and our charge was to to partner with hotels and um and to really bring the headset of a chef and the mindset of a restaurateur and an entrepreneur into that environment and create restaurants that were relevant within the market. Um, but all the while we're able to work really well within the hotel sandbox. And we were very successful at that and we're able to, you know, over the past 20 years grow that business um to, you know, just just about 50 restaurants globally um with around you know 3000 team members or, uh you know around the world um and at a very high level we, you know we were able to scale those restaurants and our you know our goal was we wanted to open restaurants that were the you know, best in class within their marketplace and were always top of the list in terms of you know best steakhouse or you know best italian restaurant whatever um, and we were able to do that. And obviously we're the only way to do scale excellence and to do that is through team and through people. And so we were, we were very fortunate in um, the, the culture we were able to, to build and sustain. And so about a year ago, um, we uh, then created a new company called Table One Hospitality, where we're really kind of just 
doing exactly that, what we what we set out to do at Mina Group, except for it, it's a really a platform for chefs that aren't Michael. Um, and so we utilize all of the systems and all the resources that we built and that helped us sustain excellence at Mina Group. Um, and we do that to help uh, either rising stars or established chefs grow um, and we provide them with the infrastructure and, and the systems and ability to do so. With what you're doing currently now, how are you finding the the chefs to work with? I'd, I'd imagine there's a lot of lot of really talented chefs out there that would would love to work with you, given the the repertoire and what Mina Group has been able to do. Yeah, I mean it's really all through relationships. Um, you know, uh, by um, you know friendships uh, within the industry and relationships within an industry. You know, you ultimately you always want to work with people that that you love and you, that you get along with and that are, you know, kind of the same kind of wavelength as you. And so th it's through relationships and, um, you know, whether it's my relationships or Michael's relationships, but we've, you know, and, and having been in the industry so long, we have a lot of great friendships and relationships to, to, you know, to help do this. I wanted to ask you, um, so obviously I've been a fan of the, the Mina restaurants for years. I was actually at one a week ago and, I think you guys always do a good job of keeping consistency across. I, I do have a question for, for the Mina group, you guys opened, you know, 50 restaurants, you've done events all over the world. You've, you've done a lot. And now with table one, you are basically going from, from concept to execution with different um, head chefs. And so I'm curious, prior, you were really using Mina, the brand that him as a, as a chef. Now you're utilizing additional chefs and their brand, et cetera. When you're opening new restaurants, how much of it do you think is dependent on the location or the, um, the, the, the type of food versus the operator of that particular location or the chef? Um, because I've seen some you know, restaurants that have opened and thrived. And there's been others that maybe the, the, the concept didn't work as well. I'm curious when you're looking at it, and this kind of relates to a gym owner, like, is it the location or is it the operator? Is it the, is it the head coach or is it the GM? I'm curious what pieces in that business have you seen after opening up all these restaurants that is like the one factor, like, dude, if we have this one, that's where it starts. And then we have to figure out location, model, et cetera. I think it's all three. I mean, I, I, I look at it as the Venn diagram and each, each circle that overlaps, there's that sweet spot. You have to have one, you have to have the right concept for the right location. And it's got to also at the right time, you know, um, and, you know, so there's a lot of uh, times where you could have an amazing location and an amazing concept, but it might be, might be the wrong time. We opened a, a very cool restaurant in Los Angeles um, the night before the Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. And, it, you know, and it was an amazing concept. It was probably, it, it was an amazing location. It was just the wrong time. Um, and, you know, the restaurant, you know, ultimately wasn't, you know, it was, it wasn't successful. Um, but it, I think it takes it, you know, it takes the right location. You have to have the right concept for the location, making sure that, um, you know, that it, you know, it's the right time for that concept within the location. It's what the community wants it. What's it's, what's going to be relevant and what's going to be attractive and desired and, and beloved by the community. Um, and it's got to be accessible and it's got to be, um, operated uh, exquisitely well. And if you don't have one of those three things, yeah, I think you can luck your way into success. Um, but for us, the type of success that we want to have, you know, we want to be, you know, we like, you know, we we want to have an amazing hospitality experience where people feel more important and better in our restaurants than anywhere else. Um, we want to have a, an amazing, um, you know, uh, um, operational experience for our team members. We want to make sure that our team members feel like this is a place that they're thriving and that they come to, to be part of something special. And we want to make sure that we're having a, a good financial experience for our partners and um, uh, that we're producing great results. And so for us, in order to do that, you've got to have all three of those. Jason, I'm, I'm curious what you think uh, about this, because hearing Patrick talk about that makes me think, um, Jason was recently at Wadapalooza in Miami, and he was talking to a bunch of gym owners, and he said that a handful of gym owners, a good amount, more than you would expect, said that they had purchased and become owner-operators of a gym solely because they didn't want the gym to go away. 
right? So they were a member at a gym that was going to close down for whatever reason, and they took over it just to kind of like keep the community going. And Patrick, you know this, in, in, in our space, in the CrossFit space, there's a lot of a lot of passion and community in these gyms. But I'm curious to hear both of your thoughts, actually, you know, is that part of the reason why so many gyms in our space aren't doing as well? Because people are getting in, maybe not for the wrong reasons, I think that's a little bit harsh, but definitely those things you just spoke about are not there, right? It's not the right time, the right person, or even maybe like, you know, the right concept. They're just getting into it because, hey, I love fitness. Like, it'd be great to start this gym, but they're almost getting into it like a hobby, not thinking about it as a business. And then, you know, they're sitting there five years later frustrated about why the thing hasn't hasn't grown. Um, you know, do, Jay, do you think that's part of why we're, we're at where we're at? I think so. But I mean, I guess I would ask Patrick that same question. Like, do you think in the restaurant industry, so in the CrossFit space, one of the struggles that I see, and actually it's a kind of a talking point. So in your restaurants, I've been to, in general, they're, I mean, you guys, I guess you have Pabu, which is Japanese, and you have uh, Greek cuisine, you have American cuisine. I guess that would be the same thing as like Gabe and I saying, hey, we're going to open up a CrossFit gym. We're going to go open up a, a F45. We're going to open up an Orange Theory. They're, they're, they're in the fitness realm, but they're different types. How do you do... How do you open, I, I'm totally going off on, I'm sorry, Gabe, I went off on a tangent here, but how do you have a consistency with different types of food? If, because if we were trying to open up different types of fitness modalities, I feel like it would be very difficult to drive culture because people wouldn't be excited about that specific type of fitness. They're more niche. They're interested in CrossFit, not Orange Theory. Whereas with you, do you then find the leader at the organization, that location, that's specifically passionate about Japanese or specifically ja passionate about Greek. And I guess that kind of leads into what Gabe's talking about is like, how much of it is just being passionate about the food or the restaurant and, and, and what you love versus the business side? Because I think that in CrossFit, it's been way too much passion and not enough business side. Whereas in food, I'm curious how much of it is passion and, and, and business, where does that fall? Sure. So I think there's a lot to unpack there. Let me talk about the first thing first. I don't think anybody has been successful um, in life if what they're trying to pursue is a hobby, right? I don't think like you look at the, the greatest athletes, um, you look at the greatest musicians, like Mick Jagger doesn't think performing is a hobby, right? He's obsessed and passionate about, about doing that. And that's why the Rolling Stones have been amazing for four five six decades right um and so as a as a business owner it, it's it's great to have a passion about the business and, and to have a joyful passion but if you treat your business as a hobby it's i mean that's a, a recipe for disaster I, I think you have to be obsessed with the business you've got to be obsessed as uh as an operator and uh as an owner into thinking how am i you know how am i going to elevate every single layer of this business um and and have it thrive um and so you know for us in, in you know in the restaurant industry that's we are we're obsessed we're, we're obsessed with um the restaurant business we're obsessed with the restaurant experience and um in you know it, it starts with love and passion and obviously i have a love and i have a passion for food and for understanding um culture and society through what happens at a table. And I, I, you know, when I go to visit different cities, whether I go to uh, Lima and Peru, or I go to Rome, I'm sure I want to go and I want to, uh, you know, end up at Machu Picchu and see the sites, but I really want to eat. I want to see what the people are eating. I want to understand the history of the foodstuffs. And I want to see the techniques and the stories behind all the artisans that bring that together. And then I, the, then I get to come and I get bring that experience back home and share that with our team and they get inspired and invigorated by it. And then we get to share it with our community. And, and then we get to be obsessed and passionate about, okay, we had this vision of what we want, what we want to share with people. We have this vision of how we want it to be orchestrated. Now, how do we create the system in order for that success to be replicated on a minute by minute, day by day basis, so we can create a high level of happiness within our restaurant and within our ecosystem, within our community. And, um, and obviously 
that never ends. We have to think about that all the time and iterate that on the, all the time. And, you know, so that's why we're able to go from a cuisine, like, you know, Mediterranean cuisine to Japanese cuisine. I guarantee like, you know, obviously Jason, you love endorphins um, and you love sweating. And so if, you know, you might not be, um, you know, you know, it might not be the uh, an amazing yoga teacher, but I bet you that if you took the, the the platform that you've been able to achieve success for NC Fit, and took that headset and that obsession and that mentality, and I, you know, partnered with an amazing yoga, some amazing yogis and yoga instructors. I bet you guys could create a pretty cool yoga studio that would achieve the same level of success that NC Fit uh, achieves. And that's because you've you've built, you know, brick by brick, that the systems and um, and the infrastructure that has created, you know, obviously scalable success. And so that's just what we've done too. I mean, with, with restaurants. And so we, you know, we partner with different, you know, with different chefs that specialize and focus in, you know, Japanese cuisine or specialize and focus in, uh, you know, Mediterranean cuisine, but it's all kind of uh, on that operating platform and that structure and, you know, operates with the same type of cultural tenets and, and foundational pillars that all the restaurants do. Man, don't give Jason any ideas. We'll start spinning up yoga studios here. Jiu-jitsu. <laughs> We're opening and, a jiu-jitsu gym next no week. Time. Let's go. But but that actually, Patrick, that that makes me curious. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you on a podcast I was listening to this morning that you were on recently, you were talking a lot about your relationship with Michael, Michael Mina, and how, you know, he's always been the visionary, a lot of ideas, and you've always been like the operator that never never approached any of his ideas with the this can't be done or this is really tough or or any of those excuses and and my question is Jason's a very big idea guy and I feel like a lot of the time the team has to reel him back a little bit but where do you find the balance of you know it not being an excuse of hey you know that literally can't be done it's distracting us from what we said the priorities are versus also you know not leaning on that too much to be an excuse to not maybe, you know, put the work in for something that yes, is going to be very hard, but, you know, could ultimately reap, you know, big results in the, in the future. Um, you know, obviously there's always a balance to things, um, but you never want to wrangle in, um, that the, the creative, um, you know, the creative, the creative angels or the creative, that magical spirit that, you know, every, you know, listen, people are always, there's, millions of people that are trying to channel creative genius and they're trying to find inspiration and look they're looking around all the place for it so why would we want to why would we want to squash that when we've got somebody that's just constantly coming up with uh, you know ideas now there should be a process to um, understand the viability of each idea and make sure that not everybody's going down a wild goose chase um, and expelling a lot of energy because this is the 30th idea or 30th thought that we've had this month. Um, so there's got to be, you know, there's got to be a process, but I mean, we never, you know, you never want to squash that, that flame or put it, put it out because it's too rare. It's rare air, you know, and it's, it's special. And obviously it, that's why you've got to have good business people, um, that one allow the creative genius to be able to do that um, and iterate, and um, and then you've got to have operators and people that can execute, you know, make that come to reality. It's funny. Last night we were talking. We were talking about. Um, I was with a bunch of chefs in New York, and we were talking about Michael wasn't there, but we were talking about Michael, and we used to have so many meetings about. This is back when, like in every restaurant, every restaurant always got bread, right? You always got bread. Right now, some a lot of restaurants don't serve bread anymore, um, you know. But if you would have, my if my grandfather would have went to a restaurant that, uh, like, they didn't serve him bread, he would have thought, you know, that he was getting gypped or robbed, right? So every, but we used to have hours of meetings with Michael obsessing over how to keep the bread warm, and we would have so many contraptions and devices. I mean, I'm. We like hot stones that the, the that we would keep in a in a in a fire or in you know we ultimately ended up you know taking the things that you that you use to warm uh, the bread warmers we would use those with for the hot stones and then we would have to put hot stones in the bottom of a basket to keep bread warm um, because 
warm bread is better than, you know, cold bread for a lot of the, you know, and so, but we would have hours of meetings about that. Um, and Michael would love coming up with different contraptions and ideas on how to keep bread warm, but that was just, and that's bread, something that you're giving to people for free, but that was how passionate, right. You know, he was about something. And so, you know, as, at the end of the day, guess what? People were always, well, I can always tell them in a meat restaurant because all the details are together. And, you know, it, the bread service is always amazing. And this is, this, this touch point is always amazing. And so, you know, a lot of times you can get caught up and get frustrated um, by stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're hearing it back from your customers and you're hearing it back from, you know, uh, the community that what well, the things, those, when those things come to fruition, that they really move the needle, um, then you kind of stand back and say, okay, he was right. Or, you know, that person was right. Yeah. You know? Is he validating me a little bit right now, Pat, uh, uh, Gabe? I'm, I'm just saying, he said there need to be processes. So I'm just going to stick with that. Need to be processes. Um, no, I, I, I love that, Patrick. I'm curious though, sidetrack, how come restaurants aren't serving bread as much nowadays? I mean, I am a sucker for good bread when oh, I hit dude. the table. Oh, and, good and the warm bread. does it right. So for anybody that hasn't been to a Mina restaurant, um, or one of your new uh, Table One hospitality locations, which I want to talk about, Patrick. But not to, I, I want I want to have Patrick answer your question. However, they have <laughs> French fries at some restaurants. They have like truffle bread at some restaurants. I mean, you guys don't just do like, oh, here's a you know baguette. This is like next level. One time, I ate so much of your bread with ricotta <laughs> and honey butter that I didn't eat my dinner because I had like <laughs> ten servings of it. Anyways, go ahead, Patrick. Sorry. You know, I think um, there's, uh, I mean, one in California or Los Angeles, especially, I mean, there's a lot of people, people just don't eat bread. Right. And so we're, we started as restaurateurs, you start seeing a lot of bread go into the trash. And so, um, you know, because of allergies and diets and this and that, and, uh, you know, this, people are on so many different things. Yeah a lot of restaurateurs just started either not doing bread or are actually putting it on the menu as an item for people to order and charging for it. And so, um, but we, we view bread as part of the experience. We think it's a way to, to storytell, like what Jason said, all the, you know, all the bourbon steaks, um, when you, you know, get, instead of, you know, we do have bread service there, but the first kind of greeting are, is this trio of French fries that are all fried in duck fat and they're individually seasoned and they have three dipping sauces. And we created that because we wanted people when they to, to obviously you're coming into this beautiful steakhouse and, you know, we wanted, and you can, you might be a little intimidated or, we, you know, but guess what makes you feel kind of comfortable French fries. Right. And, um, and, you know, it makes you kind of relax a little bit, might put a little smile on your face, help, you know, because it's something that's a little whimsical, but also it's fried, you know, French fries that are fried in duck fat. Right. And so they're super crispy and delicious. And then on top of it, so this is about the creative genius. So, you know, we were like, oh, let's greet the table with French fries. But then Michael's like, I want three different types of French fries um, and with three different dipping sauces. And we're thinking, we're telling him, so we've got, oh, you know, 50 tables and you've, so 50 tables, boom, you, you've got a fry cook that's got his French fries and he's tossing them each French, each order for each table in three different like seasonings. So this French fry has got, you know, it, it, um, uh, uh, Parmesan and that goes with truffle aioli. And this French fry has uh, furikake seasoning that goes with like a, a teriyaki barbecue. And this French fry has got, you know, dill seasoning that goes with onion ketchup, right? But that's, you know, the, the you know, the complicated genius at work. But at the end of the day, here we are, you know, after, you know, 15 years later, after we started doing it, Jason's still talking about the French fries that, that you get at the table. So that, that, that attention to detail, I think is something that as gym owners, um, or as business, as, as any business, I think that they could pay attention to, you know, you guys have, um, I saw it a long time ago. I haven't read it in a while. You had the, I think you guys used to call it the Mima, Mina Bible. I don't know if that's still, that, that was like just your kind of core values and how you guys do business. I'm curious, has that evolved over the years? And now that you're doing table one hospitality, so, you know, in the last year, how many restaurants have you, have you, um, opened with new partners? So table one last year, we opened three restaurants, two in San Francisco and one in Los Angeles. 
Um, and then this year, you know, that, that was kind of our, our, our building year. So we, you know, opened three restaurants this year, starting in May from May to May, we have 10 restaurants that we're opening. So we're opening one restaurant pretty much every six weeks, um, with a, a, a number of different partners. Um, but it, yeah, that the, the, we call it the book of law now. Um, so there's the book of law and then inside the book of law, it might've been called the book of law then too. That's my bad. Sorry. Yeah, but inside the book of law, we have the commandments, right? There's, there's like, obviously, there's, you know, probably 120 different SOPs um, within the book of law, but then there's like 10 commandments that are, if you, these have to be championed. Um, they have, you know, that's got to be part of the the culture um, on a very passionate and obsessive basis within the restaurant. And typically if any one of these commandments is not being adhered to or championed, the restaurant is not, it, it, there's a, it, it's not performing. I have it right here in my email. I had it specifically saved. So I'm going to pull it up real quick, but anyways, Cabe, um, I want to ask though, before we change course, you are opening all these restaurants every six weeks. Is there specific, like when you're doing like an opening structure, I mean, I know there's a structure you guys follow. What at a high level have you guys found is the most successful way to train and develop your staff when you're opening these new locations? Like, like how far in advance are you doing it? What are, what are some takeaways that maybe for someone who's looking to open a new business, specifically a gym where they have three to five employees, you guys have probably what, how many employees does each location have? You know, typically anywhere from 40 to 120. Yeah, I can't even imagine how that training and developing goes. Is there anything that in particular that you start off months in advance? How do you identify key talent? How do you then identify, you know, your line cooks and different people like that? Yeah, so typically, you know, the leadership, um, uh, you know, the GMs and the the chefs who are the two leaders of the restaurant, we bring them on board, you know, 16 weeks before the opening. Um, and they get a lot of time to spend in the other restaurants with the team members, learning about the culture, um, you know, making sure that we're pouring into them and we're investing into them. And we don't believe in the magic, you know, the magic apron, right? We don't believe you just put on the uniform and all of a sudden everybody knows what to do and they know the culture. We've got to make sure that we're pouring in, into people and, and investing into them um, and to giving, giving them the tools. And then, you know, then we start bringing kind of the second level of leadership on somewhere four to six weeks out prior to opening. Um, and then all of the, the hourly team members typically come on two to three weeks prior to opening. Um, but what's, what's important now and what I we've, I've, we've been talking about as our team and we're, we're really, um, focused on is, is that, um, team member experience um, in we're really, you know, right now you hear a lot of belly aching about the, the, the workforce that's, you know, in restaurants right now. And um, you know, Oh, we can't find employees and, you know, Oh, in the employees we do find, they're not the same anymore. And um, what we're really challenging ourselves to do is to one kind of eliminate that noise. And, um, and, but two is really flip the script on how we're thinking about that onboarding experience for our team members and making sure that we're one from the recruitment experience to the onboarding experience through the training experience and then just the day-to-day -day experience how can we make sure that we're, we're we're really treating our employees and obsessing over them like we would a customer um and you know how you know how do we make sure that that experience is more inclusive for them, uh, more you know where they start feeling like they're part of something, and you know so at every touch point, um, our team right now is is just completely turning the model over from what we've done for the past you know five or, or 10, 15 years, um, and um, really obsessing over that 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 you know those three kind of um, uh, points. Go ahead, Gabe. Yeah. Well, I I was going to ask about you know, and this kind of ties into starting new teams and and what you guys are doing mm -hmm. starting the restaurants. And I think for gym owners, coaches, or honestly anyone listening, th this idea of like creating buy-in is is so important. Um, and you know, one thing that I listened to this morning was you know how when you were coming up, being a busboy and then server and then head server and then manager you know, you were pretty young. I think if I remember correctly, it was like 23, 24, leading a lot of people that were older than you. 
you know, and, and, you know, I'd love if you can share a little bit here, you know, what you learn there in terms of creating buy-in in a situation where buy-in is pretty tough. And I think that the, the most direct, like translation to the gym that I see is we have coaches ask us a lot, you know, if I'm a relatively new coach, how do I, you know, give a cue or give advice to, you know, a 10 year member at the gym, because yes, I'm the coach, but you know, if I'm a brand new coach, how can I go there and give a cue to like a Jason Kalipa taking my class, for example, and be able to create some buy-in there. If there seems to be that disparity in like age and experience. Um, so curious your, your thoughts there. So, you know, what the story that you're talking about, it, so I was, you know, very serendipitously when I started off working in the restaurant business, I got a lot of a quick promotion. When I was 18, I was um, I was the head busser for a restaurant and we had 30 other bussers and I had to write the schedule for all the bussers, make the floor plans. And, um, you know, my whole MO through life, I never wanted to just like be, you know, I didn't want title to be my, the thing that earned me um, loyalty or to, that earned, you know, that said, oh, because I'm this, you have to follow me. I wanted to prove it and I wanted to earn it. And so as a busboy, it was just, I, I was going to be the best busboy, right? I was going to work harder than everybody, be faster, be, you know, and that, that was easy to do. But then as you started getting into management, you know, I was very young, I was 22 years old. Um, and I knew, you know, I, I knew all the positions, but uh, my whole approach was how do you know, I want people to want to follow me. And so what I started doing was started becoming a teacher. And so I started learning as much as I could about food and about spirits and about wine and passion is contagious. Right. And so if people see that you're passionate about something um, and it doesn't matter how long they've been doing it, there was waiters that were have been waiters for 15 or 20 years, but they didn't, you know, they see, wow, this person's really passionate about Italian wine, or they're really passionate about the process of making vodka. And they're explaining it in a way that really gets me excited about it. That's going to all, you know, all of a sudden it's going to start building this type of connection um, that then as a teacher, um, you start becoming, you know, one, you start as a teacher, but then you can start you know, kind of transitioning into a mentor and a coach. And so, you know, I think, you know, in a, in that situation in a gym, you know, as a new coach, I mean, just if you're passionate and, and you're showing, you know, if you're constantly teaching and trying to help people become better, um, better at capacity or better in character, that's, you know, um, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna see that. And, uh, you know, and that passion is contagious. I love that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it goes a long way with those coaches that, you know, are trying to teach longtime members and, and get them to buy into some cue or some different way of approaching a workout. Right. And, you know, and I, I have a funny story. I'm not going to name names. I'll, I'll name the good names. So I'm not going to name the bad names. But oh, when I, here we go. You know, when I, so I, I've been working out, I had been, had an amazing gym in Las Vegas when I was uh, there. Called, um, and then I moved to San Francisco. Um, this was like 15 years ago. And I wanted to become a member of a CrossFit gym. And obviously I, I, you know, had watched all the videos and I knew who Kelly Storette was in San Francisco CrossFit, but it was just so far from where I lived. And, um, like in order to get there every day, it was like a 30 minute drive. And, you know, and I, I had, and then I found that there was a CrossFit gym two blocks away from my, where I was living. I was like, how amazing. Right. And so I, I, you know, I went there and we bought like, a week or two weeks worth of memberships. And after, you know, a week, I was like, it was, we had coaches that were disengaged. They, you know, they, they were amazing athletes and they, you know, and they were, would do the workouts with, with you and beat you, but they wouldn't, there wasn't coaching, there wasn't engagement and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a sense of community, you know, it was type of coaches that wouldn't look you in the eye and that type of stuff. And so we ultimately ended up going to San Francisco CrossFit where there was an amazing sense of community and where the coaches were actually giving you instruction. And obviously it was amazing at the time you had Adrian Bosman and Kelly Starrett and, um, and, you know, all the, the, the great coaches that were there. Um, but it was, that was where we, I mean, and we made the trek, the trek every day, uh, you know, five days a week for, you know, 30 minutes, one way, 30 minutes back, but it was worth it because of the community that they created. And so I think, um, 
you know, I, there's something to, it, it's not just about instruction. It's about care. It's about passion. It's about, you know, making sure that you're creating some type of connection with uh, the people that are in your gym. Yeah. I think it's a really good Testament to, I mean, shout out to our buddy, Kelly Surrett, who will be on the show here in a, in a couple of weeks. It's a Testament to him and his gym and, and Juliet's gym that, um, you felt so compelled and you saw the value so much that you would increase your commute by 30, 45 minutes to go somewhere. And it's a good testament to any CrossFit gym or any business at all is that there are people that go out of their way. Like if I want really good Japanese, I'm going to San Francisco. It's an hour drive for me to Pabu though, but it's worth it because I know the experience can be consistent and it's going to be world-class. And I think that that's a good example for us to, to lean on. One of the questions I had for you is that you're saying that, Hey, as an ecosystem, I know that servers in particular, it's been, it's been tough, you know, with COVID, it just, it, it shook up the industry quite a bit, right? For us as coaches, um, I think that there is this stigma that coaches is like a part-time gig, you know, maybe they'll do it for a year or two. Um, how do you make and can you make um, career servers similar to, can you make career coaches um, or is it just, or is it just, hey, look, this is a stepping stone in your career, but you're only going to be here for a certain amount of time. And then you're pivoting on to something else. What's your take uh, on that? I love it. I, this is, I love this topic. This is what gets me fired up because <laughs> you I, and MDV need to talk. Uh, right. argue. Yeah. Listen, you know, you're right. Um, a lot of people are uh, in the service industry and it's temporary for them, and which is great. That's, that's okay. And I'm, you know, I'm okay with it because our, our goal is hopefully one they're going to we're going to make them you know great at what they do for while for the time that they do it and then hope but also hopefully we give them a little something that carries on into other parts of their life that they can take in other parts of their career but here's the thing right if this whether you're whether you're doing this for a minute or a lifetime if you can't give 100% of yourself to this station of your life you're never going to be able to do it when uh, when when the lights are on or when you're really on stage right and so a lot of you know you this might be a temporary position for you you might you know be going to school to study to become a lawyer or a doctor or or whatever it is but if it, it, where you're at in your life if you can't give 100% of yourself to what you're doing and you can't condition yourself to always show up for yourself because that's who it is it's you're showing up for yourself if you're not building that habit and you're not building those muscles when you really need them when you when you all of a sudden you become you you know you pass the bar exam and you're you, you have to become a lawyer or you're you know as a surgeon if you, you haven't conditioned yourself to always show up when you say go you go um it, it at this stage in life it's not going to show up for you in other parts of life tim grover talks about you know listen if you're not when you're if you're not obsessed when you're practicing in the dark when the lights are on in the in the arena you're not going to make the shot right and so uh to me no matter what if i'm if i'm you know uh doing this for you know three months i'm it's going to be i'm going to be the if I'm all digging holes out in the desert and I, you know, for three months, I'm going to be obsessed and make sure I'm, when they talk about hole diggers, I'm in the hole digger hall of fame, right? Because the way he dug holes was, was amazing. He dug the most holes every day. They were always perfectly measured. His shovel was the cleanest shovel. There was never splinters on it. It was always sharp and polished. You know, I'm going to upset because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it as best as I can. And so again, whether it's, temporary or it's permanent if it's worth your time it's worth you giving a hundred percent of yourself otherwise you're doing yourself at a service you're wasting your time how do you train that because i think that what you're talking about in theory is is beautiful and you you know you live under the the basic tenant of of kaizen like you're always under constant improvement that's a that's a that's a um key characteristic of you as a person right and for as long as I've known you, right? It's, it's constant evolution. It's always building. It's always improving. How do you instill the mindset you just take? Because I, I agree with you. I'm sure Gabe does too. Like whether it's, you know, whether it's a, a weekend gig or it's a, a lifetime commitment, you should be training yourself, especially at a younger age, to be putting out your full effort. Otherwise, you're you're ingraining poor habits that will eventually come up and bite you in the ass. How right. do you teach that though? Because I think it's easy to say. But how do you show young individuals or individuals who've been in the game a long time, but maybe have gotten, you know, off path to get on the right path, which is, you know, take pride in what, the work you're doing, 
and it will pay dividends in the future, regardless of how you pursue your career? Well, I think, you know, one, they got to want what you're selling. Right. And so, you know, what we're trying, we're, we, we sell, a, we sell a culture and we sell, you know, one, we're under the assumption that if you're, you're, if you're coming to be part of this uh, organization, you want to be part of something special, you know, that, you know, it, th this might not be the easiest place to work. And, you know, you know, that, this might not be, you know, the you know, uh, the most lax job that there's. You're you're walking a high wire act, but if 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 you're here, one you want to be part of something special. And I assume I I think people wake up in the morning and they want to be good. They want you know, um, in, in, inherently in the heart of of humans, they they want to be part of something special. They want to be good. And so for us, we've got you know, one that's our base level assumption. It's our job then to to show them the good and what they're doing and as leaders to set the example and to make sure that they want what we're selling. Um, and you know, we can't just say this is what we do and then not do it, right? You know, little kids all around the country are on basketball courts, you know, shoot, you know, doing this and shooting like Steph Curry. Why? Because Steph Curry, Steph Curry, right? If he wasn't an amazing basketball player and he wasn't a, uh, you know, three-time NBA uh, champion and MVP and, you know, setting all kinds of records, then kids wouldn't be doing that. And so as leaders, we've got to set the example and we've got to create, uh, you know, we, our team members got to want to be us, right? They've got to want to be, I, one day I want to be that guy. I love hearing that. I, I love hearing when people tell me I'm going to have your job one day. That means I'm doing something right, right? I'm setting the example. I'm causing people to be inspired. And so if I can, one, if I say, okay, you, I, what I got, you want, well, now let me show you how to get it right. And now here, and here, here are the things you've got one, you've got, you know, you've, if it's, you've got to give a hundred percent of you whenever you're doing something right. And, you know, um, and here, you know, here are all the different secrets and it's just little by little, you give the, you give them little nuggets, uh, and then you have conversation about it. And I, I'll tell you, um, we've, the 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 air is different when you for us in a restaurant and i get so many people in there because we we go really philosophical and people are like wow this is super different um but i think my, again i think if people feel better about themselves selfishly they're going to produce better results and if i can it, it for me as a leader if i can help others grow and be better humans, be better at home, be better uh, at work, be better in the gym, be better in their uh, education. Um, all, you know, one, they're, it's going to be better for the for the world, but two, it's they're going to come to work and be better. Um, and so, you know, we I obsess over that, and we we really try to drive it home. And and so it's by walking the walk, talking the talk, making sure that we're creating the culture, creating the buy-in, showing them how being there, giving them the support, but giving them that dream um, to, to want to reach. Uh, and you know, that's, that's the best way, you know, and, and it's really with the, who the, the, those that are within our Ballywick and, you know, if you talk about how to raise good humans, well, it's up to parents to raise good children first. Right. And so, um, I can't worry about all the children that I'm not raising. I got to focus on my three that are at home that, you know, are driving us crazy every minute. So same in the restaurant, I've got to focus on, on you know these forty individuals and making them the best versions of, uh, of them that they can be, um, and then it's on to the next restaurant. And then now all of a sudden we start creating a little army. Man, I think that that was the most important piece of the pie. It's such an important topic, and you know, little backstory on early in my coaching career because this is one of the most impactful pieces of feedback I ever got and stuck with me since that moment on. When I first started coaching at, at Crosser Garden City and Dennis, who listens to this podcast occasionally, hopefully he'll hear this. Um, I had, you know, a full-time job. I was doing a sales gig and I took it very seriously for pure pharma. It used to be, but I was also coaching part-time and I was coaching the noon class and I was a good coach from minute zero to minute 60. But one of the things that I would do is like, as soon as class was done on the clock, like even while people were still finishing up. I would run out to start like, you know, looking at emails and doing my full-time job because at the time I was like, I'm only coaching part-time. This is just what I do because I get a free membership and I coach a couple of classes. I enjoy it. But what I'm really focused on is this sales job that I have. And he pulled me aside and gave me the feedback straightforward. He was like, hey man, like if anything's worth doing, like do it right. You're a great coach. And all it takes is, you know, two, three, four extra minutes to like close up class and, you know, give up high fives, make sure the last member is done putting their equipment away and all done. 
And, you know, it's just three, four minutes extra that it's going to take you that really like encompasses the experience and would make, you know, what I was putting out from like, you know, 80, 90% to that hundred percent effort. Um, and it really stuck with me and this is years, years back. So I love how that's such a big piece of, of what you preach, Patrick, because it's honestly been one of the most impactful pieces of feedback that I've gotten from a mentor, a leader, and someone that was my boss at the time that has stuck far beyond. Cause I, I don't necessarily coach now, but it's applied to everything that I do now for NC fit. Hey, one one, one thing ahead. that I one yeah. thing that I wanted to get, Patrick, because you, you were talking about being a parent. So I recently um we just had our first uh we have a three-month-old son. So we're we're Woo! we're in the we're in the thick of a complete new stage in life. But one thing that you um said on a, a podcast I was listening to this morning was rules without relationship equal rebellion and how that you know very much applies to you know management and leadership, but also parenting. So I'd love if you can share it on on this podcast too. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, if it, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward and simple. I mean, if I don't have a, if I don't, if I don't have a relationship with with somebody in the workplace, right? If I, if I, if there's a general manager or there's a server, and all we do is we enforce rules and we enforce rules, and there's not, there's no dynamic between us, it ultimately is going to lead to resentment and rebellion, right? And so. Me, I, I I look at it as uh, you know a a rule is a withdrawal in the relation like um in the relationship I want to deposit into and so I always want to make sure that I've got more money in the relationship bank account than I'm taking out and so I'm always looking you know whether it's same with the kids I you know obviously we you know you we're we're uh, you know really passionate and working hard on raising amazing humans and making sure that, you know, are, you know, they're going to be productive citizens one day, but also at the same time, they've got to be great, you know, uh, and have fun and, and, you know, be able to be joyful and, and innocent and all that type of stuff. And so, but, you know, I am always pouring much more into them than I'm then holding them accountable for. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's now we're creating this relationship and this, this, kind of circle this legacy of trust and this legacy of now it's it's less about the rule and it's more about oh well I, I let this person down or oh well I didn't you know I didn't meet their expectation and that's what hurts more than anything um and they're actually holding themselves accountable towards that you know I don't want to you know having to enforce rules and you know especially in the in the workplace a lot of times because we've created that relationship, they'll, people will, will self-correct themselves before you even have a chance to. I know, I know, I, you know, and that's because, you know, I, we were able to pour into them, make deposits into the, the, the emotional, um, you know, bank account into the relationship bank account before we start making those rules withdrawals. Um, and it's, to me, it, it's, it's super important. It's something that we're always teaching our team, our leaders is, at every level of the game, you know, for us, we've got to do that with the the GMs, the chefs, and the managers, and the the GMs and chefs and managers. They have to do that with the you know the food servers and the bartenders and the cooks, and making sure that they're you know you don't work for things, you work for people, and um and we've got to make sure that we're reinforcing that and developing and you know really focused on building relationships on a daily basis. Just back to the deposits and withdrawals, just real quick. Um, if I could summarize that, because I think that's really that's a really interesting analogy. So when you instill when you when you have to uphold a rule, that's a that's a withdrawal. When you are creating um, buy-in or or inspiration or so, can you articulate like the what is a specifically a deposit? Because I understand the withdrawal. We have to like kind of uphold a rule. What is the deposits? Just your so general interactions, the roles and expectations. How does that work? Yeah, here's Jason Kalipa coming into NC Fit and, uh, you know, um, is you still have Redlands or not Redlands? Um, we'll use Mountain View as an example. Mountain View. Yeah. Right. And you walk in and you, you can walk in and, all, you know, you walk in, you see the bathroom's a mess and you see that the, you know, the, the, um, there's chalk all over the floor and the weights aren't racked properly. And, you know, you, so you can start, you know, Scream, screaming, you could start raising a fuss and pointing all these things out, right? And um, and correcting everybody, or um, which every you know, 
you're the you're the owner, you're the boss, you're entitled to do. Or here's Jason Klee walks in, in and sees Kelly and says, you know, all, before that already knows, you know, that, you know, Kelly, you know, his husband is going to medical school. So, hey, how, how's everything going? You know, sits, starts talking about her life, sits down, has a cup of coffee, brings, you know, starts investing in the relationship and showing that I care about you as a human. It's not just a transaction. You know, you're not just here doing a job, but you're, we're, we're, we're part of a team. Um, and you, you know, so you start building that relationship, knowing about the team that works, that works with you, knowing what their interests are, what's important to them, um, what their passions are. So then you start having, you know, conversations, you know, that Jimmy over here loves, you know, Quentin Tarantino movies and oh, Quentin Tarantino's came out with a new book. And I, Hey, have you read that book yet? I heard it's pretty cool. You know, and all of a sudden you're, that's a relationship, right? Now you're building relationships with people. And, and now then, you know, you've got that relationship. Oh, by, you know, by the way, I noticed, yeah, you know what, actually we're, we're on it. We knew that the gym was a mess this morning and, you know, I'm sorry, we were a little distracted because all this other stuff happened, but, you know, and people will start holding themselves accountable because they don't want to let you, you know, down. Obviously you've got to have a culture of discipline too. You can't just be the person that just has a relationship and goes around and, you know, everything's happy go lucky. You've, there's got to right. be, that culture of discipline. Um, That's really interesting. So would you say deposits are more, because this is, this is like uh, directly um, connecting with me, right? Like I've found that I've connected with our team really well lately during just workouts, just like, so would you say more deposits are made on non-business related content? Would you say like, that's really how you're creating on a personal level? Like, yeah, you want to have the professional career and talking about their roles and expectations, but would you say a lot of deposits are being made by making personal connections with those persons, people? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, okay. it's, I think it's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. The personal connections are huge, but also then it's help, you know, how can I help you grow in your career? How can I help you as a person? Um, there's that mentorship cap that you have to wear, but then there's also the, you know, the relationship and the, and the friend cap that you have to wear as well. Gabe, if you, I got something else for Patrick, but were you going to ask something? No, no. So something I've been working on lately and something I've been trying to focus on is this idea of leadership. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking one of the echelon front, uh, you know, one of the, um, extreme ownership, like leadership summits. I'm trying to do some just growth. Right. Cause is I came out of, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I came out of, you know, I came out of college, came out of high school, basically right into the gym business and, you know, very similar to you, right. We got into it early and, um, I've been trying to be the best I can, but there's so much more we could do. One of the things I've been reflecting on is that before I get on a call. So when I'm in person, it's pretty easy to, you know, I'm just kind of me, especially when I'm in the gyms. I'm, 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 I'm always pretty much happy because I, I love being in the gym, but sometimes when you get on calls or, or business meetings, Sometimes, um, you know, it could, it could just be, it's not where I thrive as much. I have to intentionally tell myself before I go into these calls, that as a leader, I need to show up a certain way. I need to show up professional, inspirational, composed. I need to be able to listen, but also give actionable items. Is there anything that you think about going into a call with your team or when you walk into a restaurant that you tell yourself, maybe it's a mantra, maybe it's a, and I'm, I'm asking this selfishly, by the way, is there a mantra or something that you go into each call, each meeting, and you remind yourself, like, like before work, I say like, move fast, breathe slow. It's like, you know, I, it's my mantra. It's something that reminds me how I want to attack, the, uh, how I want to address it. Is there something from a leadership perspective that you do going to a new restaurant, getting on a phone that reminds you of how to be balanced? Yeah, it's so there's, there's actually, there's three things that I do. Um, and it's, I've taken them and it's, I, I'm not, this isn't, I didn't come up with this, but it's so it's kind of a little bit, I don't know, you know, a, a little bit, uh, Tony Robbins, um, you know, uh, about changing your state. Right. And so like, if I'm going to go give a speech or present something or present an idea, um, even before that, um, uh, actually before that I do. So Mahatma Gandhi used to do this kind of, um, principle or this meditation, um, practice where he would think about the meeting and he would, um, sit there and envision himself in the meeting and what, everything that he did. And then he would envision the people that he was talking to in the meeting and how, you know, what they were going through and what they were thinking about. Then he would envision if he was just watching himself and the people that were in the meeting. 
And to me, it's, that's extremely powerful to be able to, to, to do that. It, 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 I'm not talking 15, 20 minutes. It could be five minutes, but if you just sit there alone in your thoughts and think about what am I looking to achieve? What, at the end of the day, what's a win for this? What's a, what's a winning outcome for this meeting? Okay. What, what do I want to learn from it? You know, what are they going to hear when I say these things? If you just sit there and kind of meditate and, and, and ruminate on that, whoo, oh, man, I'll tell you what, it prepares you uh, like no other, right? And so that's kind of like Tony Robbins priming, right? So I do that. Um, and then there's a, then I like to, you know, I'll, I'll either listen to some, a song that gets me pumped up or I'll listen, you know, or, or just I'll like start breathing different and getting my breath controlled. Um, and I'll, I'll move around a little bit. You see like in Tony Robbins, before he goes on stage, he has a rebounder where he's, yeah, jumping. he's got the, yeah, he's got the, yeah. Um, I'll, you know, I'll move around. I'll go, I'll actually go somewhere because I don't want to look, you know, silly, whatever. And I'll just like, kind of almost like you, you know, you're like, you're, you're going out for a fight or something, but just, you know, start getting ready. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant, you know, it, we all thought, you know, I, I've always been a huge fan of Kobe, but we all thought he was frankly, you know, self selfish and this and that, but it, it didn't come out until, you know, unfortunately after he passed away, what an amazing human being he was, right? Because he had that whole Mamba persona that when he was on the court, he wasn't Kobe Bryant anymore. He was the black Mamba. Right. And so for me, you know, I've got that like, okay, now I'm, you know, I'm going into a meeting or I'm going into this, that I'm turning on, you know, I'm turning on this alter ego that's going to go now, right? And that now that's super focused and super intense, and that's going to go and kind of take the world by storm. And so, I those are the three things I do. I, I, you know, I kind of meditate and ruminate on on what's going to happen. I physically get prepared, and then I I turn on the alter ego and and and, uh, and hit the stage or you know hit the meeting. Yeah, it's almost like a mindset shift, a physical a physical shift and then more of like an execution shift. Like if I'm thinking about it through that lens. Um, right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, Gabe, I want to be sensitive of Patrick's time, but Oh, well, well, look at this guy. <laughs> the sports card that I have on my desk. One of my favorites. Yeah. So Gabe just held up a, a memorabilia of Kobe Bryant. Um, are you going to ship that to me as a, as a, as a, as a birthday gift or what? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Dude, well, hey, while we have Patrick, um, any kind of closing ideas you were you were thinking about um for him, Gabe? No, I mean, I, I really appreciate this, man. It's it's fun to have someone that, you know, is coming from a different industry, so has a different vantage point. But, you know, so many of these principles of leadership, buy-in, team building, culture building, I think they're super valuable to our space in in the gym space. Um, but honestly, anyone. So um really appreciate you taking the time, Patrick. This was awesome. Dude, I think Patrick, what might be really cool, I, I don't want to hold you to this, but what might be really cool is if in the future we start getting questions from gym owners and different people, and we could just like rapid fire, like 30 minute sessions with you, because I think that with your depth of how many restaurants you've opened, how many people you lead, I think that you've just basically probably seen everything. Um, you know, I'd like to think that after being doing this for 15 years, I've seen a lot but I imagine you've seen 10 X just because of the amount of volume of people that you've worked with. And so um, maybe that's something we could, we could do next time is get some questions from different gym owners on issues they're having within their business. Cause I imagine a lot of it have to do with just people and, you know, cause we're in the people business, we're in the service yeah, business. Absolutely. So maybe next time. Yeah, uh, well, sure. actually one, one, one question I had any, any restaurant recommendations in the Austin, San Antonio area. So I actually moved to Texas. I'm not in California with Jason. So where, where, where should I go check out? You know, so one, we're opening two restaurants in Houston uh, in a year. Okay. So next, uh, you got to come check those out. But um, so it, I mean, Austin has so many great restaurants. I don't know if you've been to, so obviously there's Franklin Barbecue, which is Aaron Franklin's like Mecca for all things uh, smoked. And, um, but he also opened a restaurant called Loro, L-O-R-O, -O, um, which is in Austin um and it's kind of uh it's uh asian barbecue um but it's you know you don't have to i mean there's lines but you you don't have to wait in the line like franklin it's it's a really cool experience and it's sometimes they have live entertainment but loro l-o-r-o -O. um and then you know all the mcbride family of restaurants in austin are every time i go to one of their restaurants 
They're really good. Um, they're amazing. Uh, Mina is actually opening a steakhouse in Austin. Oh, I probably shouldn't announce that because they haven't said anything, but <laughs> is opening something in, in Austin Ooh. soon too. So there's a lot, a, a lot coming to that to that market. Awesome. Fired up, baby. And, Very and cool. It, I just have a list that'll uh, keep me busy here for a few months. And 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 so Patrick, um, for people who are listening who want to you know understand a little bit more about Table One, um, maybe. I, I don't know how many chefs probably listen to this, but let's just say there's someone who are aspirational to go open up a restaurant or or whatnot. Um, how would they find more information about you and, and Table One? What's the best place to go? I mean, we have tableonehospitality.com. They can go uh, online and find it there. They can go on to Instagram. I'm Patrick underscore Umel on Instagram. Um, we have, you know, so it's it's pretty easy to get a hold of us. We're, we're, we're all over. Dude, I love it, man. Well, I'm definitely going to hit you back up again and try and get you back on the show with specific questions from gym owners in particular, because I think that there's always something that you could add value to. Every time I talk to you, I get inspired to just want to do better. So really appreciate you being on the show and uh, looking forward to chatting again soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.